Hey budding lawyers welcome to the podcast today we are going to talk about mental health laws and advocacy with miss asavi soni hi asavi hi how are you great and this is an interesting topic i mean it would be new to many of many people listening here and it was even new to me i didn't know i i just have heard about it uh, that true only you uh, because of yeah. you because i follow you on linkedin and all <laughs> <laughs> okay Yeah so Asavri uh, is a lawyer a mental health advocate she is also a certified yoga instructor and she has been in the practice of yoga uh, teaching since 2 years so Asavri let's let's start with this question which must have been asked to you a lot why yoga after llb was this in your plan or did you decide it later due to some reason yeah no uh, yoga post law was never a plan uh it was never part of any plan in fact uh, when i graduated from law school in 2018 i was feeling quite disconnected with the law for about 7 to 8 months and i was trying to figure out what to do with my life um what was helpful was that when i was in law school courtesy my mother mm. i was in the regular practice of yoga so i was attending her classes because she's an instructor okay and because of that i'd been in the practice and i just felt like i i didn't know which part of law should i focus my attention on there was you know i was a little underconfident i was not very sure of myself so in the time that i was taking a break it was actually my mom who encouraged me that you know there's a teachers training course that is happening why don't you give it a shot see if it you know works for you and uh, it actually turned out to be a wonderful experience undergoing this program and it was about four and a half months of teacher training experience that we received and uh, i i certainly think that whatever i have learned in depth in yoga whether the study or the history of yoga it's a skill set that will stay with me for life you know it is of use on an everyday basis to me and uh, yoga actually came to my life at a time when i was struggling with my mental health as well so it kind of acted like a cushion it helped me out when i was struggling so i think it just went along beautifully with you know my life course at that point of time so it happened post law school though it was never it was never part of the plan okay and listening to you it felt it feels like it was a life changing experience for you right it was it was it really was <laughs> okay so now what work are you doing currently like can you take us through your usual day of work yes uh, certainly so my day i try to keep my working days to a five day week so that's usually monday to friday and uh, my day begins pretty early because i have yoga classes that i conduct that start early in the morning so a class can sometimes begin as early as 6 am and um, the mornings are usually dedicated to conducting these classes the class formats are usually either group classes or private classes which could also be spaced out through the rest of the day uh, but in addition to that in the last year and a half i actually uh, found mental health law and i've gone ahead and gotten myself admitted into various courses and programs that has helped me connect with mental health care from 
the holistic sense also and from the legal standpoint as well so in the time that i i mean this is actually up to about 3 weeks ago the time that i'm not conducting classes was spent either in researching or uh, studying for an examination or prepping for an assignment in the various programs i was enrolled in so the rest of the day went in kind of like a study phase a study and preparation phase hmm. uh in addition to that i also found that there are so many other ways of earning your buck after you graduate from law school because at the moment also legal work comes sparingly my way considering the field that i'm in but you know taking up editing work or taking up content writing i think in my free time are good ways to you know like a step towards financial stability as well so this is how i've kind of been spacing my day out and i think most importantly for someone like me who's either you know at times providing informal psychosocial support to certain people i do make it a point that i take out time for recreation and rest every day so that i'm able to rejuvenate and recharge as well so if someone approaches me to you know in an emotional crisis situation or someone approaches me because they want to schedule sessions with me i try to keep those also in the evening hours on weekdays in a structured format maybe once a week i'm speaking to them they want to speak to me about something they speak to me so that's how the day usually pans out at least monday to friday this is what the day looks like okay so this this is question quite uh, i mean not related to any legal topic but i think it is important huh. so what what is yoga can you clarify uh, the meaning of yoga as there are many misconceptions to it regarding its meaning and how is it how does it help any person in their professional life okay this is a lead question okay so uh, i mean the meaning of yoga of course for anybody if they do a google search they will be they will get a pretty good idea about what yoga is and the different schools of yoga as well uh, but for me actually with this question i'm remembering a line that i had read somewhere on instagram i think which said uh, which went something like yoga doesn't make my life better but it makes me better at life and i think that is the essence or the takeaway of this practice for me as an individual as a practitioner as well um i'm sorry can you repeat the second part of the question or oh, the misconceptions the yeah. misconceptions to the meaning of yoga now my understanding of yoga I, there are of course very unique and amusing myths associated with yoga that keep coming my way by virtue of me being an instructor and i don't think that i could you know address all of them but i am going to try and break down the essence of what uh, yoga means to me so usually a yoga class or a practice will have three elements one will be your asan practice which will be the physical movement the second part will be pranayam which will be the breath work Mm-hmm. and the third will be relaxation so i make it a point that all three of these elements are packaged into that hour when i am conducting a class uh, and as to certain very common misconceptions see yoga is for everybody and i truly believe that 
and a good instructor will actually be able to guide any student no matter what their um health conditions or illness might be as to what the contraindications will be to the practice and also provide them with lot of modifications and options so that they are still able to enjoy the yoga practice so it really doesn't matter what body type you are where you're from how old you are um god forbid you uh, have a health issue yoga can be modified and sculpted to make it a part of uh, your life um yeah lastly of course professionally the health benefits of yoga whether you are seeking it at a very physical level in terms of movement or you are seeking you're a spiritual seeker of the practice it has benefits for physical and mental health i think uh, it has been proven that you know health indicators and health parameters are seen to stabilize with continued and regular authentic practice of yoga the correct practice there's also a certain amount of stillness and calmness that gets instilled in a person which i think you know in the kind of fast paced and hard pressed lives that most of us are living today it is quite a skill to have if it is something that inherently becomes a part of you just by virtue of uh, engaging in yoga practice i am sure that it can benefit you in a workspace where there is so much chaos confusion there are so many deadlines so it definitely does that that sense of peace and lightness and clarity definitely translates to all aspects of your life it doesn't just remain limited to the mat and i think as a professional if somebody is uh, participating in a class or they engage in self practice those 60 to 90 minutes of a day that you take out for yourself are much needed given the kind of lifestyle that we lead it is something that you take out for yourself and definitely goes a long way in rejuvenating you you know for the day that lies ahead of you the next day as well so it has benefits across the board whether professionally or personally okay so mental health cases were in a rise during this pandemic and this topic was talked about a lot uh, so please first explain to us what is mental health advocacy and how did you explore it in the pandemic the sheer numbers in the rise of you know people reporting uh, a struggle with their mental health or people being diagnosed with mental illness of course a large part of it um you know played into the fact that all of us were quite isolated uh there was this very drastic change in lifestyle and it has taken a lot of time getting used to in fact i would say now that when things are slowly getting back to normal even that is a huge you know i mean it's a huge adjustment and people are now having difficulty adjusting to this new normal as well so it has been quite the year when you look at the spectrum of how people's mental health has been affected mental health advocacy as a concept i would actually at this juncture like to draw attention to advocacy for mental health as is you know envisioned by the world health organization which says very beautifully that mental health advocacy is basically certain steps and certain actions 
that promote people with mental illnesses or mental health disorders to exercise their inherent human rights and of course as a further consequence also reduce the stigma and the discrimination you know that is associated with seeking treatment or acknowledging that someone is struggling with their mental health for me personally i think mental health advocacy is as simple as just speaking to someone about any cause that you believe in this is i mean i know the context is mental health advocacy but advocacy in general any cause that you believe in that may have impacted your life uh, certain positive changes uh, or certain positive steps that you are taking maybe as steps to improve the lives of people around you to improve society in general and for me actually it it wasn't a very conscious step that i took it kind of just fell into my lap advocacy as a concept because when i decided to go public with what i had gone through and with my journey it was so overwhelming to realize that there were so many people who felt the same way as i did so there was a feeling of mutual hope i realized i was not alone other people realized they were not alone so advocacy kind of started off like that for me and in my day to day conversations or my day to day work as well there are three aspects of mental health advocacy that i very consciously engage in the first is raising awareness uh, the second is spreading uh, information to the best of my abilities accurate information and the third is the idea of mutual help where you can lend an ear to somebody somebody can help you out so these are three actions of mental health advocacy that i have observed myself undertaking on an almost day to day basis and i think if mental health advocacy is taken up as ideally as it is envisioned there are so many barriers you know global challenges that mental health uh, face that can be addressed whether you are talking about the access to care whether you are talking about people with mental illnesses not having the opportunity to work or to live as equal citizens in society whether you are talking about the treatment in mental health establishments sometimes even the lack of alternative options you know the lack of alternatives for people to access care these are just a few but there are so many barriers that could be addressed uh, with the help of advocacy okay now let's talk about the laws the laws associated with it in india and internationally too so why is there a need for it and you can you talk about the laws applicable in india okay so uh, in india we've had uh, a particular legislation pertaining to mental health from the late 1800s from the 1800s and of course the laws have evolved the most recent um, legislation is the mental health care act of uh, 2017 which is certainly a huge step forward in the right direction for persons living with mental illness the need for having a mental health law in the first place you know um, prasanna not just in you know not, not just in our country but all over the world the laws 
revolving around like you know mental health stuff they started coming about in the 1800s way into late 1900 there was an evolution all over but the misconception associated with persons living with mental illnesses was also much higher so basically they were viewed and incorrectly so as dangers to society you know something that people had to be saved from or protected from so a lot of legislations that were earlier drafted or that were earlier in place all over the world looked at persons with mental illnesses from a very from an oppressor lens if i may like they are the ones who are going to be committing crimes they are the ones who are are a risk for people around them so the laws that were drafted were actually drafted with keeping such considerations in mind and what happened after a point of time is that you know the conditions in which people were placed in mental health establishment the kind of degrading treatments that they had to go through so many human rights violations whether you talk about non consensual electroconvulsive therapies whether you talked about forced sterilizations of people living with mental disorders whether you talk about forced institutionalization involuntary admissions abuse within establishments within households all of this was on the rise it was rampant it existed in some it still does today but i think all the this, laws had to all this you are talking about in india these cases were in india only or all over the world all in india and all over the world which is why i think there was this global need that was felt that our laws have to be amended our laws have to be up to date in fact with recent research you know we realized how sophisticated uh psychosocial interventions are today how sophisticated psychiatric treatment is today and also it was found that in fact the real picture is that persons who are suffering from a mental illness or those who live with a mental health disorder are actually much more susceptible to becoming the victims of abuse or oppression so i think a time was needed to frame the laws in a manner that their rights are upheld that they are not treated as unequal citizens of society but with people who have very valid and have deserved the right to live full lives and i think that is where the idea to have more holistic laws representing their human rights and taking care of their interests in the mental health care treatment and process came into the picture mm-hmm. yeah so there is this mental health care act Uh, which was passed in 2017 is this a good law or do you think there are many things yet to be addressed and if if yes then what are those i certainly feel that the current uh, version of the act that we have it's a good it's a good piece of legislation we have taken such leaps forward in trying to secure you know the rights of persons living with mental illness but you are a lawyer too you know that no law is perfect there are very few laws which are ideal or perfect there's always a little yeah something and you know yes in my opinion i do think that there are a few concepts which have still not been addressed 
very well under the current legislation. Um, one of them is adolescent mental health care and the rights associated with adolescents. So that is something that the act is quite silent on. Another is legitimizing alternative forms of treatment, giving people a wider range of options to choose from and not just the conventional medication and therapy model, but maybe legitimizing more options. Um, as someone reading the legislation, I still feel that there is an inclination towards the institutionalization model. Hmm. So the language of the act is such that you feel that, you know, there is, there is this leaning towards hospitalization or institutionalization, whereas the world over, we are all working towards deinstitutionalizing, you know, the mental health care system. And probably another thing that I would uh, hope to see a change in would be that maybe more stringent measures woven into the language of the act where there are higher obligations placed on healthcare providers or insurance companies to cover mental illness as well. So there is a small mention, but I would hope that larger steps and more, I mean, probably stricter language to that effect could be included in the act in the future. So that is another change that I hope we can see in the coming years as well. Hmm. Do you see any change uh, with regards to the awareness about the laws, the legislation, like mental health people are talking yes. about like, yes. a lot? Yes. Yes. But about what about the laws? Are we are people talking about that? No, I I do not think that mental health law has received the kind of traction that it should be getting. And I think I've said this earlier as well. This is one particular legislation that can be useful and impact a very, very large number of people. So it's not necessary that you have to be a service user or someone who is suffering from a or struggling with a mental illness to think that, oh, this law is applicable to me. Someone could be a caregiver as well. You could be a family member to someone who requires mental health support. And it is so important for everybody to know their rights and duties under the scope of this legislation. It's a widely impacting act. But the conversation on it, unfortunately, is very limited. And uh, that is something that a lot of us are trying to change. So I hope that, that there's, there is hmm. a positive light to this in the future. So li listeners, please share this episode so that people <laughs> know about mental health laws. <laughs> yeah, we, we, can, we can link the legislation also, the Bear Act also for them. <laughs> yeah, sure. For sure. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so which countries do you think are doing really good in this area any examples of good practices they have adopted for mental health legislations or advocacy um there are actually there are so many countries who have very beautiful legislations when it comes to mental health and it's a real pleasure reading it as well two examples come to my mind at the moment uh, one is the philippines mental health act of 2019 
which I personally found to be one of the most progressive and inclusive pieces of legislation on mental health that I have read till now. You know, they are, they have a clause in their act uh, which states that any person or any citizen with a mental illness has the right to exercise all of their inherent rights irrespective of their age which means that they are taking you know age into the equation this is something that is absent in our legislation so basically an adolescent in the philippines as per the reading of the legislation can exercise his or her rights under the mental health care act which i think is a huge thing Canada also has a progressive mental health legislation. They do, uh, and even their medical laws are quite progressive. So you have children as young as 12 years old vested with responsibility uh, to take their own decisions. The supported decision-making models are quite strong over there. And in the UK also, like you have... You have the Mental Health Care Act. You have acts for various areas. But you also have a legislation that helps professionals to determine capacity, which becomes so important. Because in mental health, a big question or something that is challenged so frequently is that if a person has a mental illness, they're not capable of taking decisions for their life, which is so wrong. And I think it is so important that, you know, UK has legislations which actually take that extra step and even look into capacity in the scope of an entirely new legislation, not just something that you've defined under the Mental Health Care Act and left it at that, but something that is delved into so deeply. So I think that's really, really important. So, yeah, the, these are some of the acts that come to mind when... I think about, oh, this is something that we can pick up from here. This is something we can pick up from here. But it, it's wonderful to see that these nations have, have great legislation. Hmm. Probably as it was expected. But yeah, these are mostly developed nations. So we will get to that point someday. Hope. Certainly. And I hope that my yeah, sterilizations and are, are, are stopped. That is the main thing I'm concerned of such practices certainly certainly anything i think which is uh, undertaken without the informed consent of a person living with mental illness must be curbed and must be penalized i don't think it is okay at all and i'm sure that we can have language to that effect very very soon in our legislation as well yeah let's hope okay what are the common barriers you have faced for mental health advocacy till now and what do you think are the solutions to it okay so um for mental health advocacy i think one of the most uh, it's a very basic barrier i would say is the, is the fact that there is there's a lack of information and general awareness in amongst people now this becomes problematic for example if i am trying to help somebody seek treatment or they they want to go and visit a professional but because of the resistance that they face not just from you know the stigma and taboo of society lens 
but also the kind of hardships that they face at home because there is not enough understanding or conversation about what mental illness is how it can be cured they are sometimes unable to seek care or it takes a very long time for them to get the kind of treatment or the healing that they're looking for so this is one of the most basic barriers that you you know you encounter as an advocate uh, unfortunately there is also self inflicted stigma situations where you know a person is speaking to themselves or speaking about themselves in a very unfortunate way not understanding that these are things that can be taken care of and i think the advocacy has to move in that direction where you are able to tell people that they don't need to be afraid and i think that can only happen you know with the spread of accurate information and messages of hope and affirmations another barrier to mental health advocacy i i run an instagram page to this effect and something that i've picked up from there is that um, you know advocating for mental health is not a very attractive or appealing topic i i think it is something that as a creator for content you have to brainstorm a lot to make it palatable and interesting for the people who are going to be digesting and consuming that information there have been times and it's happened in front of me that somebody scrolling through instagram will just scroll through something related to the mind something related to mental illness that they don't want to engage with it at all i know it's a personal call but i do feel that um, how to make how to help people realize or how to let people know that mental health is very important and there's another very beautiful saying that not everybody has mental illness but certainly everybody has mental health it does impact all of us you know trying to make this concept something that people take to is also a challenge from time to time especially when you're you know engaging in self advocacy like i do a lack of mental health programs adequate mental health programs around us whether you're talking about the quality of the program or the number of programs that is also a hassle many a times budgetary allocations you know dedicated to mental health as a cause and even the seriousness in fact that is attached to mental health as a concept is very problematic because the levels are very low whether you're looking at the budget whether you're looking at the seriousness of it all so that's an issue and i think stemming from the first point that i said that there are so many stakeholders in the mental health care process uh, a lack of awareness amongst various stakeholders in this process can also become problematic when you're trying to get something done or you're trying to achieve something so i think all stakeholders involved in the process need to be well informed need to be up to date and a certain level of empathy and uh, a certain level of compassion is required on the job so that these are some of the common barriers i think i have experienced when you're dealing with um, with you know barriers to mental health advocacy and i think one of the most important is the use of the words 
terminology that we apply to people who are struggling with their mental health or the kind of sentences or the words that we use when we are trying to speak of a situation also makes a lot of difference uh, i think the terms that are used most often around us actually do more harm than good and i think it has to be a very conscious practice and an effort that terminologies are given emphasis how are we speaking to people what are the words that we're using so that is something that because it it lends again lends a very positive light to the whole advocacy procedure so that is another uh, another barrier in terms of solution something that i have always felt uh, is important is integrating mental health with various levels of our education system so it can be something as simple and easy as talking to school children about what mental health means or introducing a wellness based subject for them in school or it can be something as make you know something bigger uh, making mental health law a mandatory object uh, you know subject in law colleges for example i think there has to be this constant integration at all levels so that people don't get disconnected from the idea or from the concept of mental health it's not something we can just you know puts in front of somebody one day at the age of 25 or 26 and just expect them to take to it i think it's something that needs to be holistically woven with the education process so that is one solution that i see building on mental health resources whether we are looking at uh, research on why you know taking a mental health day is okay if you're in the workplace or the idea that um, you know the mental well being of your employees matters and it needs to be taken seriously so dedicated funds towards research really promoting mental health research that is another solution and i think increasing the traction in general towards all areas of mental health whether we are looking at care whether we are looking at law involving the stakeholders integrating the process and adding authenticity to it i think that's another um, you know way that barriers to advocacy could maybe you know be reduced um something that um, i thought of recently it was a very i was just sitting up one night and i thought you know why not incentivize a career in mental health i mean there is there is there are so many career options that are pushed you know why not incentivize something that there, there is so much that a person can be contributing towards when you look at the mental health space as well and you know why not incentivize that why not help people think about oh yes this is important uh, you know i can be paid well uh, this is why it is important and maybe i should take it up and uh, last but not the least something that i feel is the need of the r is when we are uh, dealing with professionals whether you are looking at the legal aspect or you're looking at the medical aspect it is important for lawyers doctors mental health staff medical staff to be trained in the provisions of the mental health law as well i think there's a dual benefit mm. to having you know a training of this sort because if something very simply as even you know like a doctor providing 
a treatment option could also provide some very unique or beautiful insight on the rights or the duties of the of the client who is coming to him and i think they'll also be very well aware of their own rights and duties under the scope of the act so there's a dual benefit to having professionals train uh, be trained under this piece of legislation yeah and uh, in terms of like you were saying about uh, why not incentivize this profession like and mm-hmm. so i guess many students many of our listeners would be interested uh, in taking this as a career option especially after listening to you so how would you guide them like can you explain kind of you know for them a step by step thing like you must do this you must do that you must take such course from your etc etc okay okay so let me be very honest at this point of time i myself am in the process of paving my career in uh, the mental health field but i would love to share what i have done up to this point if it is of help to somebody uh, so my initial attraction towards this niche of law came from the fact that i am somebody with lived experience of mental illness so this is something that i immediately took to i found it very interesting and i said that you know this is something that i would like to in, invest my time in so once i found this i did a little bit of reading and then i started a research on is there because as a lawyer i had not heard about it till i graduated from law school in 2018 i didn't know that there is a mental health law despite being a service user through law school i was not aware so i did a little bit of research and i did come across organizations which are offering diplomas on you know uh, mental health human rights and law because they all go beautifully hand in hand so something that i did is that um, i went and got myself enrolled in you know courses from legitimate organizations that were providing me with a skill and an understanding of what a career or what mental health law is all about and not just from a national lens but also from a very global perspective and in addition to that something that i did is i looked for more short term courses maybe one month two months which were related to mental health because i just felt that why mental health law in isolation it is something that can be clubbed very beautifully for example there is a distance learning program from yale university which is called the science of well being and i think it goes very well and it goes hand in hand with mental health care it is something that will be useful to you and to people around you so you know you equip yourself with these tiny other qualifications that help you build a stronger base and of course now i'm at a stage where i have completed a very long program from the center for mental health law and policy uh under the aegis of the world health organization this is the international diploma in mental health human rights and law so this was a year long program that i undertook and uh, i have completed i just got my results a while back so now i'll be looking at the next step so probably a masters program so i will have to look for colleges that will be offering me subjects which are conducive to what i want to learn or you can always 
there are a lot of organizations in india also which are doing good work in mental health whether you are interested in field work or you are interested in the research end of it so i think that is something that um, people will have to check for themselves what is their leaning towards and go ahead uh, accordingly i am also keeping my eyes and ears open for you know legal practices that are dedicated to mental health law cases so that is something that i uh, look forward to hearing good about in the next uh, couple of months or years so this is how it's been for me right now but i'm still in the process of paving my way but uh, every day with some new research with some new insight it's, it's a step forward are you also planning to you know uh, start your practice i would like to i would like to but i certainly feel that uh, doing my masters would be the first step and after that whatever i have to do after that so i am actually actively searching for uh, good schools which will offer me a masters in mental health or maybe medical law something that is related to what i have done so that is the next step for me that is where the research is headed mm-hmm. okay so over to our last question please share an incident from your career which is very memorable to so like i just said i'm in the process of paving my career <laughs> and i hope in the next 2 3 years i'll have something very very nice to share with you but jo uh, jokes apart i think i feel uh, a lot of the learning and a lot of tips that i have received when i have done programs on mental health care like uh, you know when i am mm. now in a position if i can i can help someone in an emotional crisis at least be that immediate you know pillar of support before i can direct them to a professional i think these are moments of you know real connection and you know being human and it gives me a lot of purpose and a lot of drive i think when i'm able to help somebody especially when it comes even if it's a one off incident it makes me feel very good that you know i'm i'm investing myself in something that matters so these are the moments when i really connect with people there's so much of vulnerability so much of honesty and so much that i get to learn as well so all of these incidents become all those memorable you know moments for me till till date so that they are all very special to me they're a huge source of learning and, and very very special okay that was a great conversation and thanks asali for doing this with us thank you so uh, spending your time with us explaining us uh, mental health advocacy and also mental health laws um, and thank you so much for listening to this podcast if you like this episode then you must also check out our other episodes available here and follow us here so that you don't miss out a new episode thank you thank you so much prasanna thank you for having me